Peace be upon you. So the term shirk in Islam, or submission in English, is the sin of idolatry. This is an unforgivable sin if maintained until death. The term shirk is typically understood as associating partners with God, but it's even more subtle than that. The Quran informs us that even the mere act of associating anything with God constitutes idolatry. In Surah 4 verse 36 it reads, You shall worship God alone. Do not associate anything with Him. So in this verse it's saying the mere act of associating anything with God is a form of idolatry. What does it mean to associate a thing, let alone a partner with God? The Quran provides many examples that we can use to identify idolatry so that God willing we can avoid this most grotesque sin. But in order to be able to avoid idolatry, we have to first be able to identify it. One of the common misconceptions regarding idolatry is that idolatry involves the physical act of worship towards an entity. But the Quran clarifies that idolatry can be way more subtle than that. The Quran cites numerous examples of common idols among the people. Now obviously people worship statues, they worship the, uh, the, the prophets like Jesus, they worship the jinns, they worship different human beings, but they also, it shows in the Quran, that people have turned their children into idols, that people have turned their property into idols, that people have turned their work into idols, or their boss or their king, that they turn these entities into idols. And the question is, how are they turning them into idols? Because most of these entities, people are not falling prostrate to their job, they're not falling prostrate to their possessions. There's some other elements at play that God is calling these actions uh, that of an idol worshiper. The simplest definition of idol worship is to believe anything independent of God can harm or benefit a person. In Surah 5 verse 76 it says, say, Would you worship beside God powerless idols who can neither harm you nor benefit you? God is here omniscient. God alone has all power and control. As stated in Surah 18 verse 39, it says, No one possesses power except God. To think anything independent of God has the power to harm or benefit us is to think that there's some partner with God. In Surah 40 verse 3 it reads, Forgiver of sins, acceptor of repentance, strict in enforcing retribution, the possessor of all power. There's no other God beside Him. To Him is the ultimate destiny. In Surah 51 verse 58 it reads, God is the provider, the possessor of all power, the supreme. God is the only one who has the power, the control, to harm or to benefit. No other entity independent of God has this power. The second we think some other entity can harm or benefit us independent of God, it's showing that we're setting up partners with God. One of the common forms of idols to many people are that of the prophets and messengers. And we see in this following verse that these individuals didn't even have the power to harm or benefit themselves. In Surah 7 verse 188 it reads, Say, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Only what God wills happens to me. If I knew the future, I would have increased my wealth and no harm would have afflicted me. I am no more than a warner and a bearer of good news for those who believe. The prophets and the messengers are going through the exact same tests and challenges of every other human being. They have no special power. They have no special abilities outside of what God bestowed upon them. 
This verse is showing that they couldn't harm or benefit themselves unless God willed it to happen. Since all power belongs to God, if we truly believe this, then we will follow the words of God over all other words, no matter how right any other word may seem. In Surah 6 verse 121, it gives us this awesome example of what it means to set up another source beside God, a partner next to God. It reads, Do not eat from that upon which the name of God has not been mentioned, for it is an abomination. So here, God is giving a clear commandment that we're to mention God's name before we eat. And it continues, it says, The devils inspired their allies to argue with you. If you obey them, you will be idol worshippers. Meaning that if God gives us a clear-cut commandment that we have to do X, and some other source is telling us to do Y, that if we follow that other source, then we're setting up a partner with God. We're committing idol worship. The Quran gives us an example of this, of individuals who've turned their religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. It reads in Surah 9, verse 31, it says, They have set up their religious leaders and scholars as lords instead of God. Others defied the Messiah, the son of Mary. They were all commanded to worship only one God. There is no God except He, be He glorified high above having any partners. So how do we safeguard ourselves to not fall into the same mistake? It's a duty upon everyone that if we accept any information from an individual, we need to verify it for ourselves. If the information conflicts with the words of God in the Quran, it is our incumbent duty to reject that information. And if it agrees with the Quran, we accept it. This shows that the source is still always, it's always the Quran. If we choose to follow some other source over what God has commanded us, then we will be falling into idol worship exactly as it warns us in the verse of the Quran. In Surah 17 verse 36 it reads, You shall not accept any information unless you verify it for yourself. I have given you the hearing, the eyesight, and the brain, and you are responsible for using them. Another way of understanding this verse is that we are not to accept what we cannot verify. So if someone gives you information and says, God said this, and there's no way for you to verify if that source is from God, then it is our duty not to accept the information unless we can verify it. One of the favorite verses that traditionalists use to try to justify the upholding of Hadith besides the Quran is using the following verse from Surah 4 verse 59. It says, O you who believe, you shall obey God, and you shall obey the messenger and those in charge among you. If you dispute in any matter, you shall refer it to God and the messenger. If you do believe in God and the last day, this is better for you and provides you with the best solution. The justification that people make when they cite this verse for the upholding of Hadith besides the Quran is they say that those uh, that were to obey God, the Messenger, and those in charge among you, as if this is an open policy to follow the scholars and the ulama. Again, this statement is conditional. The condition is that it corresponds with the words of God in the Quran. Notice it says, Obey God and you shall obey the Messenger and those in charge among you. This is not an or statement. Meaning that if one of these in the entities down the chain provides conflicting information up the chain, being God, then in essence it's our duty to reject that information. 
that if someone's giving you, you know, claiming to say, hey, look, I'm in charge among you and I have this responsibility and they tell you to do something that's counter to what God tells us in the Quran, it's our duty to reject that information. The reality is all human beings are fallible. The only one who is infallible is God alone. The Quran shows numerous examples of the Prophet himself making mistakes. This is to show us that we are not to follow a human being. We're to follow God alone. For instance, in Surah 33 verse 37, the Prophet was reluctant to marry the divorced wife of his adopted son. In Surah 80, the Prophet frowned and turned away when the blind man came to him and paid his attention towards the rich man. In Surah 66, the Prophet prohibited something that God did not prohibit just to please his wives. And in Surah 17, verse 73 through 75, we see that if it wasn't for God strengthening the faith of the, uh, the Prophet, he was about to lean towards the disbelievers. It reads, They almost diverted you from the revelations we have given you. They wanted you to fabricate something else in order to consider you a friend. If it were not that we strengthen you, you almost lean towards them just a little bit. Had you done that, we would have doubled the retribution for you in this life and after death, and you would have found no one to help you against us. Ironically, even in their own hadith, it claims that obedience is contingent if it corresponds with the book of Allah, and it does not, then it is to be rejected. And the only reason I cite the Hadith is no different than if I'm talking to a Christian or a Jew, that I'll use the, the book by which they ascribe to. So if I'm talking to a Christian, I'm going to use the Bible. If I'm talking to someone who's Jewish, I'm going to use the Old Testament. Because I have to use a source, their own source, that they respect to show where their logic falls short. And we see in this Hadith from Muslim, number 1838e, it says, it has been narrated on the authority of Yahya uh, bin Hussein, who learned the tradition from his grandmother, Um Hussein. He said, I heard her say, I perform Hajj in the company of the Messenger of Allah. And he said a lot of things on this occasion. Then I heard him say, if a maimed slave is appointed a commander over you, the narrator says, I think she said a black slave who leads you according to the book of Allah, then listen to him and obey him. So it's saying that if someone is put in charge among you, that even if this individual is a slave, if they're maimed, and even you see this, this slightly racist trope, that even if they're black, if they lead you by what's according to the book of Allah, then we have to listen to it. We have to obey them. So we see that the final source here is God's book, the Quran. In another narration, it reads, It has been narrated by the authority of Ibn Umar that the Prophet said, It is obligatory upon a Muslim that he should listen to the ruler appointed over him and obey him whether he likes it or not, except that he is ordered to do a sinful thing. If he is ordered to do a sinful act, a Muslim should neither listen to him nor should he obey his orders. So again, in their own literature, in their own writings, it's showing that obedience is conditional. Now, if you go to the Hadith literature, there's all these prohibitions, all these rules and regulations and stipulations that are not encompassed in the Quran, that many times often contradict the Quran. Now, it doesn't matter 
who this person is. They can be the top dean of Al-Azhar. It doesn't matter. If they're telling us information that conflicts with what God tells us in the Quran, this is sinful information and we are obligated to reject it. It's interesting, there's another hadith where the Prophet appointed someone to be their commander. In Sahih Muslim 1840, it reads, The Messenger of Allah sent an expedition and appointed over the Mujahids a man from the Ansar. He ordered, this man who was appointed, ordered that his work should be listened to and obeyed. They made him angry in a matter. He said, Collect for me dry wood. They collected it for him. Then he said, Kindle a fire. They kindled the fire. Then he said, Didn't the Messenger of Allah order you to listen to me and obey my orders? They said, yes. He said, enter the fire. The narrator says, at this they began to look at one another and said, we fled from the fire to find refuge with the messenger of Allah. They stood quiet until his anger cooled down and the fire went out. When they returned, they related the incident to the messenger of Allah. He said, if they had entered it, they would not have come out. Obedience is obligatory only on what is good. This shows that even in the Hadith literature itself, that not all commandments are to follow if they conflict with what is stated in God's book. And the word that's used here is maruf. Maruf means what's universally recognized as good, as righteous. And we see the same example in the Quran. In Surah 60 verse 12, it says, O you prophet, when the believing women who abandoned the disbelievers to seek asylum with you pledged to you, that they will not set up any idols beside God, nor steal, nor commit adultery, nor kill their children, nor fabricate any falsehood, nor disobey you in righteous orders. You shall accept their pledge and pray to God to forgive them. God is forgiver, most merciful. Again, we see this concept that they're not allowed to disobey his righteous orders, meaning that if even the prophet of God gives a commandment that's unrighteous, that conflicts, with what we all recognize to be universally good, it's our duty not to abide by it. Now here's the rub. The Messenger of God would never make such a commandment. But the Hadith are riddled with such false fabrications attributed to the Prophet. And since we cannot verify this information, did the Prophet actually say this, then it's our duty that we reject it because it conflicts with the Quran. Because God tells us that the Quran is our only source of religious law. And there is absolutely no way any single hadith can be proven that it came out of the Prophet's mouth with the exception of the Quran alone. There is absolutely no way to verify any other hadith aside from that of the Quran. That if someone claims to have some other authentic hadith, no matter how authentic they claim the chain is, we are to reject it because there is no way for us to verify that information. Even if it's the most beautiful sayings attributed to the Prophet, the reality is there's no way to check the chain of narration. How do we know this is the legitimate Isnad? How do we know this was not fabricated? That someone else put in fancy words in order to deceive as proclaimed in the Quran. In Surah 6 verse 112, it reads, We have permitted the enemies of every Prophet, human and jinn devils, to inspire into each other fancy words in order to deceive. Had your Lord willed, they would not have done it. You shall disregard them and their fabrications. This is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them and thus expose their real convictions. If we want to rid ourselves of any idol worship, 
we need to devote the religion absolutely to God alone. In Arabic, the word for religion is deen. This word, in addition to meaning religion, also means judgment. Like when we say yom as in the day of judgment. This is because all judgment regarding our religion is to come from God in His book alone, which He has given to mankind. In Surah 6 verse 114, it continues as, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when He has revealed to you this book fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. And it continues, it says, The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. The messenger is sent as a kind of referee to judge in our disputes. And it reads in Surah 4 verse 65, it says, Never indeed by your Lord, they are not believers unless they come to you to judge in their disputes. Then find no hesitation in their hearts whatsoever in accepting your judgment. They must submit a total submission. Some people take this verse and they say, look, this is the function of the messenger, he has to judge. But the reality is by what metric is the messenger judging? Just a few verses ahead in Surah 4 verse 105, it reads, We have sent down to you the scripture truthfully in order to judge among the people in accordance with what God has shown you. You shall not side with the betrayers. That the messenger of God was obligated to judge by the book of God not by his own opinion, not by his own volition, that if he did that, God would have reprimanded him. God would have punished him for doing such a thing. This shows that the religion, the law, must be devoted again to God alone. If we accept the testimony of any other entity that conflicts with the word of God in the Quran, we are commanded to reject it if we want to avoid idol worship. It reads in Surah 6 verse 19, it says, Say, whose testimony is the greatest? Say, God's. He is a witness between me and you that this Quran has been inspired to me to preach it to you and whomever it reaches. Indeed, you bear witness there are other gods beside God. Say, I do not testify as you do. There is only one God and I disown your idolatry. The only testimony we are to uphold in the case of religious laws is that of the words of God. If you notice, the whole concept of Hadith are testimonies given by supposed narrators about what supposedly the Prophet said. That if we accept these other testimonies over the testimony that God has given us, the testimony that the Prophet himself gave his life to delivering, that it shows that we are falling into idolatry. That's why it says, I do not testify as you do. There is only one God and I disown your idolatry. In Surah 39 verse 3, it says, Absolutely, the religion, the deen, shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside him say, We idolize them only to bring us closer to God, for they are in a better position. God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such liars, disbelievers. Again, this is informing us that the connection we are to have is directly from us to God. And this comes through the revelation he has given the prophet in the form of this scripture, the Quran. That if we think we have to go to some other source in order to have this connection with God, that we're setting up partners with God. In Surah 6 verse 162 it says, Say, my contact prayer salat, my worship practices, my life, my death are all devoted absolutely to God alone, Lord of the universe. 
Every facet of our religion has to be dedicated to God alone. When the messengers come and they preach the word of God, we follow the word of God. The only mechanism the messenger serves is a conduit to the message from God. But he is only delivering this book. Throughout the entire Quran, it says the sole duty of the messenger is to deliver this book. There's no duty upon him to deliver hadith, to deliver sunnah, or any of that sort. These are fabrications attributed to him to distort and pollute this perfect religion. In Surah 39, verse 45 says, When God alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. If we are not satisfied with the mention of God alone, that when it comes to our shahada, if we are, have a tendency of wanting to mention the name of any other human beings next to that of God, this is idolatry and it's shirk and we need to refrain from it. In Surah 17 verse 18, it says, The places of worship belong to God. Do not call on anyone else with God. Now, this is a powerful statement. It's because the concept of idol worship is the fact that we're setting up a partner next to God. No matter how insignificant we think this partner is, if we are not satisfied with the mention of God alone, calling upon God alone, looking at the, the rules and regulations based on the words of God alone, then we're setting up a partner with God. What's interesting is that the word doa, used in Surah 72, verse 18, when it says the places of worship belong to God alone, do not call on anyone else beside God. This word has two meanings. One meaning means to implore or to call. The other one means to invite. And this gives us a perfect example of what it means to call on some other entity next to God, no matter how insignificant it is. If I invite you over for dinner and I send an invitation to you alone, then the expectation is you will come to me alone. But if in the invitation I say, bring your servant with you, then you're no longer coming alone. You're coming with a partner. And what has to do with us calling upon God, we have to call on God alone and not mention any other names beside him in the places of worship. Now what's interesting is there's a hadith from Sahih Muslim number 1185 regarding the statement that the idol worshippers during the time of the Prophet in Mecca used to make. It reads, Ibn Abbas said, the polytheist would say, Labaik la sharika lak. This means, here we are, you have no partner. So here, the Quraysh, the idol-worshipping Quraysh, are making a statement. This is the same statement we make when we go to Hajj, that Labaik la sharika lak, meaning that you have no partners. And it, it, it says, the Messenger of Allah would say, woe to you, stop, stop, but they would continue except a partner that you have and you control him and all that he possesses. They used to say this as they circulated around the Kaaba. Now what's interesting is from their standpoint, they didn't think they're committing idol worship. They thought in essence that they're saying, no, look, God controls all power. I'm just calling on this other entity and I'm acknowledging that he's a servant of God, that he has no power on his own. And it shows the subtlety that again, these individuals we're trying to justify their idolatry. Now today, the traditional Muslims are doing the exact same thing. They're mentioning another entity in their shahada. Their places of worship are constantly calling upon other entities beside God. 
Yet they think because they acknowledge, or so they claim, that this is a servant of God, that this doesn't constitute shirk. But absolutely it does. And the reality is, up until the day of judgment, the people who are committing idol worship are going to vehemently deny that they were ever idol worshippers. In Surah 6, verse 22 through 24, it reads, On the day when we summon them all, we will ask the idol worshippers, Where are the idols you set up? Their disastrous response will be, By God our Lord, we never were idol worshippers. Note how they lied to themselves and how the idols they had invented have abandoned them. The Quran warns us that the majority of people commit idol worship, and even among the majority of those who claim to believe, they do not do so without committing idol worship. In Surah 6 verse 116 it reads, If you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture, they only guess. In Surah 12 verse 106 it reads, The majority of those who believe do not do so without committing idol worship. In this world, we have two choices. Either we follow the path of God and follow monotheism, or we follow the path of Satan, which is polytheism, and the association of partners with God. In Surah 36, verse 60, it says, Did I not covenant with you, O children of Adam, that you shall not worship the devil, that he is your most ardent enemy? God's path, again, is strict monotheism, while Satan's path is the disobedience of God. When God gives us a commandment, if we choose to follow some other source, then we are setting up a partner with God and following the path of Satan. In Surah 4, verse 60, it reads, Have you noted those who claim that they believe in what was revealed to you and what was revealed before you? Then uphold the unjust laws of their idols. They were commanded to reject such laws. Indeed, it is the devil's wish to lead them far astray. In Surah 4, verse 87, it says, God, there is no God except He. He will surely summon you on the day of resurrection, the inevitable day. Whose hadith is more truthful than God's? If people think that they have additional hadith that's more truthful than the verses of God in the Quran, then they're setting up partners next to God. They're falling into the trap of Satan. And I'm going to end with my favorite set of verses. This is what the disbeliever is going to say on the day of judgment and the messenger's testimony against his own people. It says, The day will come when the transgressor will bite his hands in anguish and say, At last, I wish I had followed the path with the messenger. At last, woe to me, I wish I did not take that person as a friend. He has led me away from the message after it came to me. Indeed, the devil lets down his human victims. The messenger said, My Lord, my people have deserted this Quran. As said in many previous episodes, this is what it means to follow the path of the messenger, is that we uphold the Quran alone. Notice the messenger did not say, The people have abandoned my hadith, they have abandoned my sunnah, as we saw in previous episodes. The hadith literature itself condemns people who created hadith towards the Prophet. Let's not fall into the same mistakes. Let's not fall into the traps of Satan. God has given us the perfect book. And let's put our trust in the words of God alone and not that of the narrations of men. God willing, we're going to end there. 
If you guys want to get in touch, please join us on our Discord server. Praise God, we got a thriving community, many people of like-minded individuals who want to follow God alone, worship God alone. It's a great place to be. You'll find the invite link below. If you want to follow along the verses of God in the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. And if you're looking for more information, you can go to QuranTalkBlog.com uh, or to ChronicLabs.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.